Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. This evening we're going to take our Bibles and turn to the ninth chapter of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 9. And I'm going to invite you to stand, if you're able, out of respect for the Word of God. 1 Kings and chapter 9. So thankful for the songs we have been singing today. Um, I can't stress enough that the key to the Christian life is just taking God at His Word, stepping out in faith and doing it. And, And God, we do not get to experience God and prove the faithfulness of God unless we Uh, live by faith. And so, uh, one step at a time um, as we go forward. 1 Kings chapter 9, our text this evening is going to be verses 1 through 9. And I will also want to encourage you that um, when you sit down, I meant to mention this, find John chapter 15. We're going to be in John chapter 15 in a few moments from now, that which will complement 1 Kings chapter 9. So John 15 in a few moments... And our text is 1 Kings 9. Notice with me verse 1 of 1 Kings 9. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire which he uh, was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication, and what God is referring to is the prayer in which he prayed really in chapter 8. It says that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house, referring to the temple of the Lord that he just built, which thou hast built to put my name there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. God says to Solomon, And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart, and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever. In verse 4, what God is referring to when he says his judgments and his commands and his statutes, he's referring to his word. He says to Solomon, if, you're, if you keep my word, if you walk in my word, then here's what I'm going to do in verse 5. I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But there's a contrast in verse 6 where God pretty much changes his tone in what he's saying to Solomon, and he becomes very direct with him in verse 6. He says, But... If ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, he's referring to his word again, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then here's what I'll do. Then will I cut off Israel out of the land, which I have given them. And this house, which I have hallowed for my name, will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword. Among all people. In other words, Israel shall become a thing of the past. And at this house, which is high, every one that passeth by it shall 
be astonished and shall hiss. And they shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto this land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they, the people of Israel, Solomon and his family, forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. I'm going to preach a message that I've entitled, God's Clear Warning to Solomon. God's clear warning to Solomon. Let it be God's clear warning to us, to you tonight. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. We preached on really a conversation that David, King David had with his son Solomon, who was going to be the next king of Israel this morning, out of Psalm 37. And that conversation that David had with Solomon took place long before this conversation that God had with Solomon personally. And so it's not that I necessarily planned on Solomon being the, the Bible character today, but for some reason it seems that that is what God has orchestrated. And so let's think about warning signs. They're posted everywhere to prevent people from risking personal injury. Uh, for example... Uh, warning, no diving in shallow end, right? That was always a favorite one growing up. Um, I was um, lifeguarding at a Christian summer camp uh, several years ago, and before all the teenagers, teenage guys could get into the pool, we as lifeguards, we go over the rules. The rules are posted right there on the fence, on the, on the gate. They're posted there around the pool. And one day I was lifeguarding and I had this 16-year-old right next to my chair dive head first into four feet of water. <laughs> God had mercy on him and he came out smiling as if nothing ever happened. And so I verbally ripped him out of the pool and uh, gave him a war word of warning and tried to paint a picture for him of what could have happened to him regarding his neck, his spine, and his life. And so God had warning, uh, had mercy on him. Uh, there's the warning sign of caution, wet floor. How many of you have ever put that one to the test in Walmart? Yeah, we'll see about that one, right? Um, warning, sharp curve ahead. Um, warning, beware of dog. That's a favorite sign when we're out knocking doors uh, on visitation, is it not? And uh, usually what I do is I disregard the sign. I'll go up to the fence and I'll whistle. If I, there's no dog that peeks his head around, I will proceed and go ahead and leave some literature on the door. There was one time in Oklahoma City uh, when we were in college, and uh, there was no warning sign on the fence for beware of dog. And so me and my partner, we entered onto the property. We knock on the door of the house, and we look to the right, and around the corner of the front of the house peeked two heads of pit bulls with, with thorny chains around their necks. And the per lady I was with was pregnant. And I said to her, slowly proceed to the road. And uh, those dogs came after us, and the owner finally came out, and, and, and we were safe. And no warning sign, though, which that one would have been good. Isn't it always the case? It's not always the case, though, that people are hurt who disregard warning signs. But in our passage, God is desiring to prevent Solomon from experiencing what is or what would be the inevitable of a careless believer. 
What God says to King Solomon is, is nothing God has not warned others about in the past. In fact, this king knew some of those people personally, and he could probably even make himself familiar with what God warned them about. But in our passage, you'll get the sense, and we get the sense even by verse 9, that God is making his warning personal to Solomon. Really, we saw several years earlier this morning in Psalm 37 that, that God used David to really uh, put forth a warning into Solomon's life about not succumbing to the lifestyle of the evildoer and living life the way in which they live. And so God is coming to Solomon personally because really uh, in, in chapter, chapter 9, he's coming right out of chapter 8 where Solomon and the nation of Israel are on a spiritual high. They have completed the building of the temple, which, where the plans started with David, and the building of it was completed with Solomon, and the whole nation is rejoicing. A lot of times you and I need to be careful when we're on these spiritual highs where God has done something great in our lives because we could have a great fall when the emotion is not always there. So God comes to Solomon when he is excited about the, what the Lord has done through him and for the nation, and he warns him about what could be the inevitable. King Solomon was blessed as he obeyed God's word. He knew that obedience to God's word produced blessing. He likewise knew that, that disobedience to God's word forfeited blessing. So, I think most of us know the end of Solomon's life, or what took place later on in his life, is that he got away from the will of God. How did Solomon get away from the will of God? How did Solomon get out of God's plans for his life? Well, how do any of God's people get away from living in the will of God? It's the same reason. It's the same reason. So we read our text tonight. And in verses 1 through 5, what we would notice first is that God makes it clear to Solomon in the first five verses that Israel would remain in the will of God so long as the throne of Solomon obeyed the word of God. Pretty clear, pretty, pretty simple. We can observe from the previous chapters of 1 Kings that King Solomon had an authentic, a real desire to see the Lord glorified through the nation of Israel. Solomon demonstrated his resolve to glorify the Lord by developing the infrastructure of the land of Israel with a heart that pleased the Lord. Solomon did not go about these building projects and these building programs for his own uh, gratification, for his own image, for his own name, but he did it for the glory in the name of God. He ordered and administrated the construction of the house of God, and he dedicated it sincerely to the glory of God. So it would be safe to say, from what we know, that King Solomon at this time in his life, and thus Israel, had a known testimony that they were fully committed. They were all in to glorifying the living God of heaven. God was clearly the glory of his people at this point, in their history, where God comes to Solomon. Israel unashamedly associated themselves with God's name. He was acknowledged for giving victories, for providing for their needs, for all that they had, including his giving of King Solomon. 
And most importantly, the nation of Israel, unlike any other nation during this time, had the presence of God in their midst. They had the hand of God upon them as a nation. The great buildings, the, the beautiful landscapes, the, the great wealth, all characterized an established group of people. Many nations during this time did, in fact, have great wealth and beauty. We think of uh, Mesopotamia. We think of uh, the, the, the nation of Egypt during this time. But the difference with Israel was all that they had was from and for the glory of God. All these other nations were, were established because of the work of evildoers. As we learned this morning, they, they got it in their own strength and their own might, but God was the one who enabled his people to have such a nation that they had under the leadership of King Solomon. They were blessed with the real presence of the one true God. No other nation had the glory of God upon them. And so it is during this time, this, this, um, this spiritual high, this time of revival in, in the nation of Israel that God comes to Solomon personally. God comes to him personally while he and the nation of Israel are experiencing this time in their history. In our passage, Solomon was still humble. He was still meek enough to where the Lord could de deliver to him a clear word of warning. Solomon had a meek, a meek spirit. Remember how David told Solomon in Psalm 37, but the meek shall inherit the earth? Really what it means to be meek, one of the characteristics of a, of a, of a meek person is that they are teachable. They can be corrected without giving a, an attitude. Not only can they be corrected, but they will receive your instruction. They will understand that they don't know it all, and they will respond with humility and with trust. And that's the spirit in which God finds in Solomon at this time. At this point, God was able to clearly communicate a word of warning because of two reasons. Solomon had a genuine love for the Lord, and Solomon saw his need for God's strength and wisdom. A message is not communicated unless the message is clearly presented and clearly understood. We, we iPhone users, we, we understand this when trying to send a text to those Android users. Do we not? A message is not communicated unless it's clearly received. Um, bad cell phone service results in unsuccessful communication. Right, So we have the gratification of sending that message out and then we connect with our friend in person and our friend in, in, in person face to face and we ask them, hey, did, did you pick up what I asked you to pick up from the store? No, I didn't get that message, right? Because of their bad signal on their terrible Android phone. Amen. But the point is, at this point in Solomon's life, he had a good spiritual signal because he was humble. He knew he needed the Lord. He loved the Lord. He inclined his ear unto wisdom. He says that a lot to us in the book of Proverbs. In fact, Solomon in the book of Proverbs is now talking to his son about what not to do in life. And he t tells him that from personal experience. He was humble and teachable. The Lord communicates to Solomon this, that if he continued in his desire to please God with his life and obeyed God's word, we see this in verse 4, God then says that Israel would have success. And Solomon's family would continue to be established on the throne. 
In other words, Israel would remain in the will of God so long as the throne of Solomon obeyed the word of God. And doesn't that make sense tonight, church? God would prosper Israel as they obeyed his word. They would be successful. They would experience all that God has in store for them if they submitted themselves to God's commands, to his judgments, to his statutes, to his word. But in the same breath, God makes his clear warning. Notice again verse 6. God says to this man, But if he shall at all turn from following me, Ye are your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve and yield yourself and submit yourself to other gods and worship them. Then here's my response, Solomon. Do not forget this. Then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight. God is clear as to how his people lose the blessing of living in his will. God's people would not be in his will for their lives if Solomon forsook God's word. It's amazing when you and I scratch our heads and we look around the church and over time, or maybe you've thought of this in your life, and you wonder, whatever happened to, uh, to, to so-and-so? Uh, um, why aren't they in church anymore? Or I wonder how they could have been so committed to living for God and, and now they are so open about their, their sinful lifestyle. Or what happened? I thought all they wanted to do was God's will. Have you ever thought that about someone? Have you ever thought that about a church that was once on fire for God, a church that once existed? Have you ever thought that about a family? What happened to them? Well... God is as clear to us today as he was in his warning to Solomon. You forsake my presence. If you forsake my word, the long-term result will be that you are no longer in my will for your life. If you're not abiding in the word, you're not abiding in God's will. God did not say to Solomon that he or Israel would no longer be his chosen people. That is not what God said to, to Solomon in this warning. God is saying that Solomon would not have the blessings that are produced from his relationship with the Lord, and neither would all of Israel. So what were the blessings of, of God's relationship with Solomon? God, well, there was God's continued presence, His glory, God, God hearing their prayers. There was God's safety, His protection, His prosperity. There was God's power upon them as a nation. And there was, of course, His plan being worked out and unfolded uh, for them throughout their history. God's blessings would be the result of letting God's word rule his heart or rule his life. Thus, being in God's will is the direct result of being in God's word. Being in God's will is the direct result of you living in God's word and yielding and submitting yourself to the Bible. So what does God say would be the inevitable if Solomon forsook his word? Not, not what might happen, not what, what could happen if he's unfortunate, but what would happen. Well, notice the end of verse 7. The end of verse 7. He says that, And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among 
all people. Verse 8, And at this house, the temple which they just built for the glory of God, which is high, everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall, and shall hiss and, and shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto the land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God. Understand number three tonight, church. Forsaking God shall be a reproach to his people. Meaning, it's not going to be to God's shame. Forsaking God's presence is a shame on his people. Forsaking the Lord's instructions for success would not be to God's shame, but to theirs. They would become a proverb, as uh, the Bible uses this language at the end of verse 7, a proverb and a byword. What these two words mean is that God is saying that the nation of Israel would, would be considered a thing of the past, a has-been. Oh, they used to exist for and to the glory uh, of God. They will then become a story to have been told. It's kind of like uh, that restaurant that served your favorite food on, until it came under new management. You know, there's nothing wrong with your favorite food. It's just that that particular restaurant is not what it used to be. It's lost its glory. I remember when Cassandra and I uh, were dating. She's from Michigan, and uh, I wanted to take her out on a date, and I was looking for decent Italian food up there in Michigan. <laughs> And uh, her dad uh, recommended a restaurant, and he spoke highly of it. And he said, man, when, when I was younger, this was the place to go. And so I said, okay, fine, we'll go there. And so we went in there. It was Valentine's Day, and it, it, was, it was Italian food served on a buffet, Brother Vince. It wasn't, it wasn't family style or anything. I mean, whatever this place was 20 years ago, it lost its glory. But that didn't ruin my, my, my love for Italian food. It was just that place in particular huh, uh, lost its fire or its spunk, or if it even had it, being in Michigan. <laughs> you see, Israel, not the Lord, would lose their glory. What buildings were so magnificent and visible to the heathen would slowly begin to decay over time. The great worship and elevation of God that once took place, that used to take place, would notice, be noticeably gone. Their clear testimony of being the people of God who believed a Messiah would eventually come would be distorted. But listen tonight, it wouldn't be God's fault. God would not be the one to blame. They ask in, in, in verse um, uh, 8, Why hath the Lord done this? And the response to the, uh, from the onlookers, God says an example would be, because they forsook the Lord their God. Do you know anyone like this, a family like this, of a church that is in this position? It's a shame on any of God's people when they forsake Him. Isn't it? It's too bad. The results of a person forsaking the word of God are heartbreaking. And so we, we come back and we begin to say they used to live for God. They used to be faithfully serving. They used to be a witness for Christ, etc., etc., and other people know when the glory departs from the life of another individual. But listen tonight, God cannot be blamed for their departure. 
because he so clearly communicates warnings for how our spiritual condition is contingent on what we do with the Bible. Our spiritual condition is contingent, is dependent upon what you and I do with the Bible. Our place in the will of God, it's totally dependent on our place in the Word of God. You want to continue in God's will for your life? Do not forsake God's Word. The Word of God is the key to remaining in the will of God. God's will is accomplished in and through those who are ruled by His Word. God doesn't accomplish His perfect will in your life if, if you have an attitude or a spirit that takes or leaves the Bible. God doesn't accomplish your will, His will in and through your life if you can take or leave the local church. Because it is when you are spotty in your attendance to the local church that you are also forsaking the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God and the counsel that comes from uh, uh, your pastor and the edification that comes from the body of Christ. And God's Word is that book which tells us that is how we can grow. But when we stiff-arm God's ways that are laid out for us in the Word of God, we're not going to be what God wants us to be. There's no, there's no way around it. There's an inevitable um, result when we forsake God's Word. What is God's will? Like I said this morning, whenever we as young people would hear uh, the two words, God's will, our our ears would go like this. I want to know what God has in store for me. What's in it for me? (laughs) And so maybe that's you at this moment. What is God's will? God's will is Christ-likeness. You say, that's it? That I would just become like Jesus? Yeah, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of wonderful things to becoming like Christ. The glory of God's people is no longer seen in buildings, temples, and infrastructure built by the hands of the kings and people of Israel. The glory of God is the image of Jesus Christ made visible through his living and breathing local churches. There's no Christ-likeness without obedience. And there can't be obedience without knowing what God has spoken. There cannot be obedience without knowing what God has said, without a relationship with the Lord. So what does Jesus have to say about this? I hope you have found John chapter 15. What does Jesus have to say regarding our place in him, in our place, in his will. John chapter 15, very well-known verses to, to most believers. Notice verses 1 through 8. Jesus speaking to his disciples, to the very first church ever to exist. He says to them, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. He's the one who takes care of, of the vines. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the, what church? Through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except uh, ye abide in me. He's saying, disciples... You're, you're no better than a, a vine that's disattached uh, to, to the root. 
You're no better. If you disattach yourself from me, you're not going to blossom and bring forth fruit. So he says again in verse 5, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. And what he's saying when he says you can do nothing is you cannot produce fruit. You can't do any of what I just said. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. He's saying, if you're abiding in me and walking with me, I'm going to hear your prayers. Is what he's saying there. But verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples, or identified, or associated with me. The word abide. It means to continue. It means to dwell, to remain, to endure, to be attached to. And Jesus says throughout these verses, abide in me, continue with me, dwell with me, remain with me, endure, stay attached to me. The fruit of Christ or the evidence of Christ will be the natural occurrence when we attach ourselves to the word. Jesus Christ is the Word. Shall we go back to John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the same was in the beginning with God. Christ is the Word in the flesh. And God uses fruit-bearing Christians for their intended purpose. The will of God is this, that you bear fruit, that you have the evidence that you belong to Christ produced in your life. That is God's will for you. But in verse 2 and 6, we find a warning. Verses 2 and 6 warn us clearly about what happens when we get away from the word. Notice verse 2 of chapter 15 again. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And notice verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Listen, again, we cannot be used as God intended if we're not bearing fruit. And you might ask the question, well, well, why not? Well, if there's no fruit, there's no use. No fruit, no use. Does this mean that we no longer belong to God? As I said earlier about what God said to Solomon and, and, nation, and the nation of Israel become a, a proverb and a byword and them losing the glory, this does not mean that we no longer belong to God. But it does mean that we are risking missing God's plan for our lives when we stiff arm the authority of the word of God. We're on a road that leads to getting off course from where the Lord wants us in life. All that God produces for our lives is the result of having a relationship rooted in Christ, rooted in His Word. Fruit is produced when we're rooted in the Word. I want you to know this tonight, that there is a big difference between missing time in the Bible and becoming detached from the Bible. I mean, it, but where's the line? You understand? Where's the line? How long should I go before we can put me in the category of being detached from the Word of God? I, I would say if um, it's your routine to not go to the Word of God 
and the Word of God has no authority on your decision-making. You're, 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 you're not abiding. The question is, what is your heart attached to? I think that's the question we need to answer. In what are you abiding? Are you attached to the culture or the Word? Are you, are you abiding in immorality or the Word? Are you abiding attached to a, a career in money or the Word? Are you attached to religion, religiosity, or the Word? Are you, are you uh, uh, abiding in a false identity or the Word? In earthly pleasures or the Word? That is the question tonight. We see in our text back in 1 Kings chapter 9 that Solomon was well informed by God about how he could be spiritually successful because, again, Solomon loved God. And he saw his need for God. Therefore, he heard from God. He warned Solomon because of his deep love for his people, and he knows the tendency of man to become complacent in their walk. Understand tonight, God understands our, our, our tendency to become complacent in our walk. You know, you think of, you think of Solomon and um, all that God did through him in his life with the... the the rebuilding of the nation of Israel, with the infrastructure, with the buildings, with, with his wealth, with his wisdom. I think Solomon would be the type of believer who can maybe take his relationship with the Lord for granted. And he can kind of have this mindset of, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll show up once in a while and spend time with God and do God a favor just to show God I'm still around. I still love you. You know, you've done good things for me. You're my best friend. And, you know, I'll pop in every once in a while. And that is the, the, the pathway to destruction when we flirt with getting away from, from God's word. And so God comes to Solomon and gives him this warning because he knows the tendency of man's heart. So how exactly did Solomon end up getting out of the will of God? Listen, friend, the same way any of us get out of God's will. He forsook God's word. He forsook God's voice. He came out from under the authority of God's commands. He came out from under the authority of God's statutes. He came out from the authority of what God deemed right and wrong, his judgments. So he came, he forsook God's word and began listening to the voices of other people instead. Therefore, he went in the direction of his focus. Your focus determines your direction. We tell drivers that all the time. Don't look over there because you're going to wander that way because your focus will determine your direction. You will glorify. You will obey. You will follow who you listen to. You say, oh, bro Brother Dan, uh, Solomon got away from God because he, he had too many wives. He had too many relationships. No. You say, oh, well, then, Brother Dan, Solomon got away from God because he began to put his faith and his trust in his wealth. Friend, either way, whether he, he fell in love with the wrong kind of women or he fell in love with his wealth, the bottom line is he came out from under the authority of the Word of God. That's the bottom line. D.L. Moody said this, that this book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Listen, it's nothing new how Christians and church members disappear from the will of God, disappear from the local church, 
disappear from serving God, disappear from their church family relationships. It's no secret because Christians lose their ability to make a difference for Christ when they have departed from God's words. In 1 Kings chapter 11, we won't go there tonight, we would see in verses 9 through 14 that King Solomon sadly did not heed God's clear warnings. And as a result, his testimony, the testimony of his family and Israel for the glory of God was greatly diminished in society. See, Solomon was humble, he was meek, he was in love with the Lord at one point, and several points later, Solomon stiff arms the authority of God's word. And he ends up out of God's will. And not only so, when Solomon got out of his will, it did not just have an effect on him in an isolated manner. When Solomon got out of God's word and thus got out of God's will, Israel as a nation was divided. It was split into a northern and into a southern kingdom. That wasn't necessarily supposed to happen. With many amounting issues throughout the next several generations to follow. Listen, church, God's will for your life, it's missed when God's word is missing from your life. God's will, God's plans for your life are forfeited in many ways when God's word is missing from your life. Listen, forsaking God's word hurts three groups of people. If forsaking God's word hurts you. Forsaking the Bible, the result is you lose your ability to make a difference for Christ. It hurts you. The second group of people that forsaking God's word and getting out of the will of God hurts is your family. It hurts your families. The word of God is a missing priority in many Christian homes. The Word of God is a missing priority in many Christian homes. It's amazing as I've looked at churches over the years, churches of hundreds of people, something happens in the church, a pin drops, somebody says something the wrong way, somebody's offended, the whole church splits right down the middle. How can that be? It's almost as if their faith was built on a pastor. Their faith was built on a man. It's as if they were practicing a religion, but there was no genuine, authentic relationship with the Lord behind closed doors. And it is, difficulties, it is in the difficulties and the trials of, of your life, of your family, of your church, that prove how strong your relationship is with the Lord. And the Word of God is, missing, is a missing priority in many Christian homes. And in many Christian homes, the reason is because there's no effort, there's no routine, and thus there's no depth. The typical home really would be described as you wake up the last minute in the morning, you scurry around the household, get all the kids uh, dressed and, and fed and got their bags packed and out the door to the school bus and you're pulling out right behind them to go to work and you work an honest job. You work hard all day long, six, seven, eight, nine hours plus. And so rightfully so, you come home at the end of the day and you're exhausted because you worked an honest job and that, that's to be expected. And so we're exhausted, we make our dinner 
And then we get on social media and we scroll and we scroll, we channel surf and we watch our show and we eat our, our Twinkies and, and, and then before we know it, it's 10 o'clock and we go to bed. That's not just the description of a normal home, but Christian homes too. That's it. The Word of God has no place. There's no personal discipline. There's no craving. There's no uh, uh, rec one's recognition of their need to get into the presence of God. And I think a lot of times we forget why the Lord saved us. He did not save us just to take us to heaven when we die. He saved us for a personal relationship with God. And when we forget to see our, our salvation that way, well, guess what we're going to do? We're not going to maintain that relationship with God. And God is not going to produce fruit in the life of his children if they are not attached to the vine. Jesus, the word of God. This isn't a salvation issue. This is just an obedience issue. Is all that it is. Satan has a foothold in some homes because the Bible does not. And so the result of this family is that they lose their ability to make a difference for Christ. Listen, you and I can only fake it for so long. We can only go through the routine and go through the motions of coming to church, showing up, serving, dressing right, talking right, uh, listening to the right music, giving off the, 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 the spiritual persona until we get, we get burned out, we're sick of it, we realize it's not real, Hardship comes, and we turn to that which we've been depending on the entire time. Not Christ, but self, but addiction, but substances, relationships other than our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, because forsaking God's word hurts us as an individual and hurts our families, that all trickles right down to the fact that forsaking God's word hurts the church. The church is made up of families. The church is made up of individuals. And if families and individuals leave the church because they're not in God's will, then you don't have a local church. How sad. How tragic. But tonight, take it to heart that you have clearly been warned. Are you right now, as we sit here tonight, putting yourself at risk to miss all that God has in store for you. You say, outside Liberty Baptist Church, the Word of God is not a priority. I don't have a relationship with God's Word like I should. Listen, you need to get off that road. And you need to get back to your intimate relationship with the Lord. God is warning you of the inevitable. God's will is missed when His Word is missing from your life. Listen, becoming a thing of the past, it can be avoided. It doesn't need to be you. Maybe it is, it is you tonight and you were outside of church and you were unfaithful and, and lately you've been coming back to the local church and getting yourself under the authority of God's word, under the authority, under the authority of a good pastor, under the accountability and the edification of the church body. We praise God for that. We're thankful for that. But some are, might be here tonight and you're, you're flirting with missing out on God's absolute best for your life because you're missing out on his word. Becoming a thing of the past can be avoided. And you say, how? How? Stay in love with Jesus. And this isn't necessarily an emotional feeling. 
Love is not emotion. Emotion goes away. But love is doing what is best for somebody else. Love is putting something in first place. Keep Jesus in first place in your life. You say, I'm right there with you, preacher. Keep Jesus number one. This is also going to be evident in how faithful you are to participating with the church. They go hand in hand, and I preached that message a few weeks ago already. But becoming a thing of the past can be avoided. Stay in love with the Word of God. Remember why Jesus saved you. It is for you to have the greatest relationship of your life. That's why He created you, by the way, for you to know Him. But sin drove a, a, a gulf right down the middle between our souls and God. And Jesus Christ gave His life on Calvary's cross so that that gulf could be mended, so, it could be, so that it could be reconciled to the other side and you could have your relationship with God back. That's why He saved you. Always believe, number two, you need God. If you're full of self, you won't see your need for God. And that's the point which Solomon came to. Full of self, proud of what had been accomplished through him, and that was enough for him. Listen tonight. Charles Spurgeon says this, and we'll close. A Bible falling apart often belongs to a life not falling apart. Would you take it to heart tonight? Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.